Good morning. I won't get your parents to teach you about that. That's okay. (laughs) It's a great response for the children's class to have some give and take. Very good. Let's bow our heads for prayer again at this point. Thank you, God, for your presence here today. Thank you for the beautiful beautiful weather outside. Thank you for the spirit that shines in our hearts as we open our hearts. And thank you for the beauty that you can make even out of the pain. And thank you for the promise of eternal life with you. <clears throat> so I pray, <clears throat> I pray God that you would bless this time here together. And just pray that I could speak truth. And uh, that your spirit would just work in the hearts of everyone here. We can have a, a deeper appreciation for, for your love, for your greatness. And a deeper commitment to follow you. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning I want to talk about a question. Questions are useful. They can be very useful in learning as children. Walk behind mom or dad asking lots of questions. Uh, Questions can be very good. Uh, Sometimes you hear the phrase, and there is no dumb question, but there is. I've heard lots of them. (laughs) Not all questions are good ones. Uh, Even um, questions about the Bible, for example. What would God have done if Jesus had decided to marry Mary Magdalene and live on the earth forever? Bad question. (laughs) If you want to know an an answer to that one, go ask Dan Brown. He lives up in New England somewhere. He writes books about things like that. So questions aren't always good questions. There are very good questions. Uh, a question is different than a doubt. We can ask a question, how does God do so and so and so? That's different than saying, how can God do that? Like, how, how, can, he, how can it be possible he can, he can do something? So good questions are good, <laughs> obviously. Uh, poor questions are, are poor. Uh, and there's there are, are an attitude behind the question probably usually dictates whether it's a good question or a, or, or a bad question. Uh, in Titus, Paul says, "But foolish questions avoid, for they are unprofitable and vain." And Second Timothy says again, "Foolish and unlearned questions avoid, because they gender strife. It gives something to argue about." Especially hypothetical, gospel, hypothetical religious questions get hypothetical religious answers, and no one's the wiser afterwards. <clears throat> so, the question today, and I'd like to uh, have a little Bible quiz here. I'll throw out some clues about the questioner, but I want you to think about what the question was. This question was given by a man, he was a dedicated member of the local legal system. He woke up to nightmare conditions. He began to live forever soon after contemplating suicide. He gave medical treatment to two people, to two men. Uh, He lived in Philippi. What was the question that he asked? Anybody want to venture a guess? Yes. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? That was a good question. A very good question. So, the title of the message today is, What Must I Do to Be Saved? <clears throat> good question. And then I have a lot of other questions about the question. And hopefully they're good questions as well. What must I do to be saved? Somebody asked Jesus a similar question. What must I do to have eternal life, to inherit eternal life? And Jesus gave them an answer that uh, I don't think we feel comfortable with today. Jesus said, what does the law say? The man told him. 
And Jesus said, do that and you'll be fine. Um, that's not what the New Testament teaches, is it? Paul says in Galatians 2.16, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. Uh, whenever somebody brings up biblical contradictions, first thing you need to understand, there are none. The second thing is that any apparent contradiction is only a contradiction in your own head. Okay? Not in God's mind. So, I'm not, trying, I'm not trying to play tricks on you. Uh, Jesus was in the Old Testament. Jesus, when he was a youngster, uh, lived according to the law. He went to the temple and got, got the uh, firstborn rites done and all that. We didn't do that for our firstborn. Alex missed out, I suppose. <coughs> uh, <clears throat> but Jesus was in the Old Testament. And in the Old Testament, in the time of Abraham... Isaac, Jacob, patriarchs, and in the time of Jesus, love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, all thy strength, and love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two laws hang all the law and the prophets. And that was the way to God. Uh, And when Jesus talked to another gentleman about the same question, and the gentleman said, um, it's one of the, I forget the details of what his position was. Um, he said, the gentleman said that those two laws, if you can follow those, those will do you more good than all the burnt sacrifices. And Jesus said, You're, you are close to the kingdom. Jesus approved of that. So, what must I do to be saved? In Acts 16.31, the answer to the question of the Philippian jailer, when the Philippian jailer asked Paul and uh, Silas, what must I do to be saved? Paul said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. He didn't say, love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, and mind, and the neighbors thyself, and thou shalt be saved. Um, but Paul here was in the, in the New Testament after salvation through Christ, after the resurrection in the new church era. Uh, Peter as well, in Acts 4, when he was speaking to uh, the group of people that were wondering, the Pentecost, um, uh, Holy Spirit um, uh, occasion there. And he says, he's talking about Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified. He said, neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. So, what must I do to be saved? First of all, when we ask that question, we're assuming several things. We're assuming that probably we need saving. That's just a you know, lazy, curious question. We need saving. Also, we're assuming that it's possible to be saved. Hebrews 11.6 says, Without faith, faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. So in order to ask the question properly, to ask the good, a good question, we have to believe that God will receive us if we find out how to be saved and uh, follow his directions. That it will work. We must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. He's not a rewarder of those, I mean, yeah, he is, but he's not a, uh, he doesn't come and accept those who do not diligently seek him. Those that are half-hearted askers um, get brushed aside. What must I do to be saved? How would somebody come to the point, like the Philippian jailer, uh, that he believes he is unsaved? How does he know that he's lost? 
Um, he doesn't really describe a lot of his thought processes in the days before. He had just witnessed the evening before the um, severe beating of these two men and obviously noticed their responses throughout the whole process. Um, he was doing his job and putting them in jail. Um, so I don't know what, what all he, he um, had had when I was thinking, going through, they had been in the town for quite some time because that demon-possessed girl was following them around, telling how these are the servants of the Most High God. Uh, but suddenly he knew that he needed to be saved. I expect that God gives a... Uh, a, a, uh, understa- a uh, let's see, an understanding... A... Um, Knowledge of needing to be saved to all people. Uh, I'm not all people, but I, I expect that's how it is. And people go around responding to that need in a wide variety of ways. Uh, but one of the main, main reasons people would, want, would believe that they are needing to be saved uh, will be guilt from knowing that there's an ultimate lawgiver while disregarding his laws. And perhaps they don't know how to get saved, uh, but knowing that you need to be saved, that something's wrong. Uh, I think it's a fairly common uh, feeling throughout humanity. And so we go to all kinds of ways trying to um, suppress guilt feelings. <clears throat> uh, humanity does. Romans 1.20 says, For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made. So, the creation tells us some things that everybody in the world can know. His eternal power and Godhead. The creation demonstrates that there is a transcending God somewhere and he made this creation that we see. Um, that's what we can get from the, from the creation uh, without missionaries, without um, you know, the Bible. Uh, and the whole world is exposed to that truth that there is a God over the universe. Of course, the universe doesn't say who it is or how to contact him or what you should do about it. Um, but knowing that there is a uh, a, a, a powerful being watching over you. What does that do to you? Well, it gives you a wiggly feeling inside. If you understand, that's what's happening. What does he think of me? Um, is he nice? Uh, and those are the kind of feelings that people can get from knowing there's an overarching lawgiver. Um, also, in Romans 2, 14 and 15, for when the Gentiles, which have not the law, do by nature the things contained in the law, these having not the law are a law unto themselves. So this is talking about the people, the Gentiles, like us. We're some of those Gentiles. Now, we've been churched for a while, but our ancestors weren't. Uh, I, from what I've read, our ancestors were mostly, uh, at least the, the Amish Mennonite type of ancestors, mostly um spirit-worshipping, nature-worshipping type of people um, over in Europe somewhere at some point. <clears throat> some of you may be Jewish. That's fine, too. Uh, and you have good ancestors, except before the flood, yours were that way, too. And Paul goes to great lengths showing how we're all under sin. So uh, what advantage has the Jew? Some. Much actually, he says. Anyway, go back to the uh, the topic here. The Gentiles have a law unto themselves, in verse uh, uh, Romans two fifteen, which show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and their thoughts the meanwhile accusing or else excusing one another. So the work of the law is in their hearts. What's the work of the law? And your responses. You remember what, the, what Paul says: the work of the law. The law does several things, several options you could, you could choose. The law does. The law identifies sin. And the law brings guilt and death. Wonderful. 
Gentiles have guilt and death. That's the work of the law. The law brings the knowledge of sin. Well, that's a good place to start. If you don't have the knowledge of sin, you won't have an idea that you need to be saved from anything. If I don't understand my sinful condition, I won't be looking for any rescue avenue. You know, I won't be looking for any, any way out. Their conscience also bearing witness. They know that they don't always do what they think they should. And their thoughts, the meanwhile, accusing or else excusing one another. They make rules amongst themselves. And by their own rules, their own standards of, of how they should be, they accuse or excuse each other. Uh, that's what's being described here. And there, that happens in every culture. Um, in Africa or Alaska or Pennsylvania or whatever. Uh, rules are made and the culture reg- uh, uh, gauges their own goodness by the rules they make in their culture. Because there's some kind of uh, accountability to something. And so they make rules as a group. And the group holds each other to those rules normally. That's the work of the law. By the law is the knowledge of sin. Uh, and Paul talks about that in, in, uh, in Romans. So we know, that we, we know that we're lost because there's this law idea that God, I think, puts in everybody's heart. Because I'm not everybody. I haven't asked everybody in the world. But that seems to be a universal uh, principle. That God puts the idea of, of right and wrong. That there's something right, something wrong. Uh, and as groups, people develop what they believe is right and wrong. Not always correct, of course. So, what must I do, do to be saved? Well, what does saved mean? What are we asking for? What must I do to be saved? And then again, saved from what? In uh, 1 Thessalonians, why don't you turn there? Um, just a couple of verses here. 1 Thessalonians 1. First Thessalonians 1. 9 and 10. A couple of things I want to check out there. 1 Thessalonians. There we go. Uh, Paul is describing the Thessalonians here. For they themselves show of, show of us what manner of entering we had unto you. You being the Thessalonians, I believe. And how ye turned unto God from idols to serve the living and true God. And to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. So, in this, uh, of course, I'm not going to have exhaustive descriptions here. And, and uh, there's, the Bible has a lot more information in it than I'm able to be sharing this morning. But one way we can see what saved means here is uh, when we turn from idols to God to serve the living and true God. How many of you have a Buddha in your house that you kneel down to every morning? Good. (laughs) Uh, Some people do have idols in their houses. Um, I was looking at a, a website that sold insects yesterday from Thailand. Nice exotic insects, fairly cheaply. Uh, mounted insects on, on boards. And the same website um, sold spirit houses. Like little bird houses without a, with a big opening in the front. And um, the good spirits could live in there. You could put it up on the shelf in your house and uh, they bring good luck to your, your life. But hopefully, you don't have a spirit house in your house. So, idols. An idol, I think we can understand, is anything that comes between us and God. Something that we value instead of what God said. Which could be a wide variety of things, mostly ourselves. You look in the mirror, it's the biggest idol in your house. 
but we can't get away from it. Whenever I decide to live life my way instead of God's way, I'm putting myself in front of God. And so I'm being an idol to myself by that definition. So we're not exempt from this verse. Uh, sometimes churched people have the idea that, well, I don't really have much to get saved from. I mean, I'm, I'm almost a Christian the way I am. Uh, what am I supposed to change? I'm all, all good already. That idea right there, that I'm good already, is the worst thinking idea uh, in the whole book. Because that is pride, lifting yourself up, um, calling yourself good. Jesus said there's none good but God. Uh, that is a very, very big, bad idea that um, a lot of folks like us have trouble with. Us, me, me too. Okay? Um, that we can't find anything to repent from. And that you'd have that problem in your life. And be had lots of stuff to repent from. So, being saved, <clears throat> changing, see, turn to God from idols, even just living, living life my own way, to serve the true and living God. And the second part of this salvation then, being saved, and to wait for his son from heaven. Jesus is coming back again. So, being saved is changing my viewpoint here on this earth and waiting for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus which delivered us from the wrath to come. That's another part of being saved. So it's being converted, changing my direction of life, changing my mindset. And then there's some future benefits or uh, effects of being saved. That Jesus will come back at some point. And being saved beforehand will prevent us from experiencing the wrath to come. Uh, I want to read, just read a couple of verses here in Matthew four sixteen and 17 quickly. The people which sat in darkness saw great light. To them which sat in the region and shadow of death, light is sprung up. Darkness, light, death, and, and into life. Uh, in Acts 26, Jesus is talking to Paul and telling him what he wants him to do. And he talks a bit about salvation in that what Paul is going to be helping other people to experience. Uh, Acts 26, I take some time to turn there. Acts 26, 17, start there. 26, 17, Jesus talking here. <clears throat> and this is when Paul's accounting this, uh, relating this account to uh, King Agrippa. <clears throat> what, and he's saying what Jesus said. Acts 26, 17. This is how the saving is going to look. Delivering thee from the people and from the Gentiles, unto whom now I send thee, verse 18 is what I want really to focus on, to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. The Gentiles were going to be able to be saved too. And that means, I suppose, most of us. <clears throat> Turning them from the power of Satan, being under the influence and power of Satan, which is a bad thing, because Satan is not nice. Turning them unto God. Like I read before, turning away from idols, whether it be Satan or some other imaginary idol, or some spirits, or ourselves, turning to God. The wrath to come. Uh, the Bible is. Um, let me back up a little bit. Questions again. Good questions, bad questions. Um, sometimes people talk about, you know, what ifs. Um, like, you know, if God would not have prepared eternal life for us, we would still be bound to serve Him throughout our lives. And God is great and good. He deserves worship. Even if God wouldn't have heaven prepared for us, we would still be, um, you know, righteous to bow down and worship him. Well, that's a silly thing to say, I think. Because it's not the way it is. Hypothetical situations get hypothetical answers. 
It's all imagination. God did not uh, just bring us his righteousness and that's the end. No, he prepared eternal life for us. And the Bible gives that as a goal to, to uh, work towards. Uh, it's, not, it's not always wrong to have bait in front of you. Like the donkey and the carrot. For the joy that was set before him, Christ endured the cross. So, you don't have to be afraid and be ashamed of wanting to go to heaven. Or wanting to not go with Satan to hell. Uh, I've heard, heard the idea that we should love God besides, you know, aside from the gifts that he gives us, and aside from the rewards. We love God for, the, for its own sake. Well, it all comes together. It all comes as a package. Revelation 21. Turn there. Revelation 21. This talks about salvation and some of the wrath. Revelation 21. Let's begin at verse 1 and go down through verse 8. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow, nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. And he that sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said unto me, It is done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. He that overcometh shall inherit all things, and I will be his God and he shall be my son. But the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. <clears throat> Save from what? Well, saved from a lot of pain and suffering and uh, bad relationships and all that in this life. Yes, Christian, God gives his children peace with it through, through their trials. Um, but of course, folks who serve themselves and, and Satan do not have. Um, and this life definitely is a much better place <coughs> because of God's peace in your heart. But Paul says, if, if you only have in this life hope, you have all men most miserable. There is a, a hope for the future. <clears throat> and um, because of the overarching lawgiver, the creator of the universe, uh, there's justice being being prepared. And so if we have our, our, our sins under the blood of Jesus Christ, uh, we get to be on the good side of God's justice. What must I do to be saved? How did you get unsaved? Were you always unsaved? Did you begin to be unsaved at some point? I think those are honest, can be honest questions. Just understand how salvation works. Psalm 51.5, David is talking about, this is his repentance psalm after his sin with Bathsheba. And he makes this statement <clears throat> about himself. He says, Behold, I was shapen in iniquity. I, was, I, de- I developed as an embryo in iniquity. And in sin did my mother conceive me. What does that mean? Is that supposed to give us, 
you know, an absolute structure to build our theology from? Or is this the cry of a broken, repentant man saying, I'm a bad guy. I know that. I've been a bad guy as long as I can remember. But now I'm going to be good under God's, God's direction. Or do we pick it apart as, as a theological statement? In Jesus' time, there was a blind man. And the disciples asked a question, an honest question. I think they didn't, weren't saying it for a joke. But they said, this blind man, oh, was it his sins or his parents' sins that he was born blind for? So how would a little baby be born blind for their own sins? I'm not sure if they knew a lot about biology or about um, theology either, for that matter. <clears throat> now, the parents' sins, I can kind of figure that one out. When this same blind man was healed, and he was looking around all around, around the town, uh, people were excited about what happened. The council called him in, and he began talking with them, and he was all excited about his, his, his seeing ability. And they got kind of irked at him, and they, they told him, you were altogether born in sins. Were they right? Was, was, was David right about what, what, the way he said it in that poetic? <clears throat> was David, <clears throat> excuse me, was David conceived in sin? Are we all conceived in sin? Um, after a little bit, we'll look at some scriptures. Okay, I'm still asking questions. I wrote a controversial poem one time <clears throat> that I got negative response about. And it's about a beggar. A crust of bread, a crust of bread. His cries lost midst rush and din. But still, he chants his hunger song, one hand uplifted, weak and thin. His hollow eyes are gaunt and round. The light of hope long since has flown. He hugs himself midwinter's chill, a quivering ghost of skin and bone. The daylight fades and the shadows grow. The crowds go home to firesides bright. The waif curls up beneath a hedge to shiver through the long dark night. At last the shadows creep away to hide till night should come again. And sunbeams cast their brilliant gaze or jostling throngs of busy men. Beneath the hedge, when morning comes, the heap of rags lies cold and still. While all the world must hurry by, another soul has gone to hell. But no, no, don't say has gone to hell. Didn't you say a waif? A waif is a young homeless child. Doesn't God take young homeless children when they die out of this cold, cruel world to heaven? Does he? How can people who have not repented of their sins or been baptized or been born again, Jesus said you must be born again, have not made a confident decision to surrender their lives to Christ Jesus, be received into the presence of God as those who have entered into the sheepfold by the door and have their names written in the book of life. If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. He that believeth and is baptized is saved, he that believeth not is damned. That question has bothered some people. It's bothered me. It's one of those questions that is not specifically addressed that I can find in the scripture. Um, 
from what I can find, you have to address it by principles and by, you know, general teaching. Turn to Matthew 18. Verse 1. Matthew 18, verse 1. At the same time came the disciples to Jesus, saying, Who is greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus called a little child unto him and set him in the midst of them and said, Verily I say unto you, Except ye be converted and become as little children, Ye shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Whosoever therefore shall humble himself as this little child, the same is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Uh, Jesus is assuming that the child that he had in the middle of the group there uh, was a good candidate for the kingdom of heaven. Um, how, 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 how was that? We don't know how old the child was. Uh, it says he took him. Let's see. I'm going to be real, real uh, strict about wording here. Perhaps we see Oh yeah, sorry. And Jesus called a little child unto him. So maybe he was old enough to walk himself. I don't know. <clears throat> or maybe his mother brought him, but he called him into the group. Um, this is the word means the child here. According to Strong's concordance, means infant, you know, little, little, little person. <clears throat> but Jesus is is giving this little person as an example of a good candidate. For the kingdom of heaven. And he tells his, tells his disciples, you need to change how you live, how you think, and become like this. <clears throat> uh, in the, in the uh, accounts of the last judgment and other accounts, um, I read a list of bad things that people can do to, uh, to be rejected. Those are works. And in different places it says that people are judged by their works. So, it doesn't actually say that people are judged by whether they were born again. It's not in the, not in the judgment chapters that I could find. Um, it says people are judged by their works. Now, of course, if you're not born again, you can't, you can't please God. You can't do the works of God. Uh, people are rejected, go to hell for their own sins, not the sins of not the sin of Adam. I think that's correct. Uh, from Adam, we do inherit something. It is the irresistible urge to sin. We call it the sin nature, normally. At, uh, I didn't bring it along this morning, but at school I have a little bottle of rattlesnakes. Those are real rattlesnakes. But they never bit anybody. They never rattle any, any, rattle any rattles. They never scared anybody behind the house. They did none of the bad rattlesnake uh, habits that rattlesnakes have. I mean, we think of bad at least. But they're real, real rattlesnakes. But they never did any of that. If they were allowed to grow up, they would do automatically, without question, all those rattlesnake things. They would bite rabbits and hurt them. The rabbit goes off and dies a painful, horrible death. And the snake comes slithering by and swallows them whole. They would do all those rattlesnake things. 
But these never did. But they're real rattlesnakes. Now, we're not rattlesnakes. Uh, but I'm, I'm, wanting, I'm wanting to describe how it can be that we have a sinful nature without being sinful. Because we're judged by our works. The Bible is clear about that in different places. And it lists works. Lots of bad, bad things people do. In the Old Testament, uh, Josh was talking about it this morning. Amorites, Jebusites, all the other ites. Kill them all. Jericho occupants, kill them all. The parents' wickedness trickled down to the children. And they received the same judgment as the parents. In Jeremiah, there's a couple of verses that are interesting. It's talking about some future time. I don't have it all pinned down where it would be. Jeremiah 31, 29, and 30. In those days, they shall no more say, <clears throat> the fathers have eaten a sour grape and the children's teeth are set on edge. But everyone shall die for his own iniquity. Every man that eateth the sour grape, his teeth shall be set on edge. His mouth will pucker. Each person individually is responsible for their own sin before God. <clears throat> I think it's what the New Testament teaches as well. Repentance. We can't inherit repentance from our parents. Uh, in the Old Testament, that was sort of the case often. Uh, individuals still had choices. But people were taken by groups, by family groups, the Rechabites, or by nations, the Israelites, or the Jebusites, or other, other ites, other, family, other larger family groups. And God seemed to deal with people in larger groups. But in, in the New Testament era, individuals are, are uh, held responsible for their own sins, and their own sins only. Um, if somebody close to you, a family member, uncle, whatever, turns out bad, um, God does not hold you responsible for their choices. Um, and it's very easy, I'm sure, uh, to feel responsible for other people. Um, but I think it's clear in the scripture that God will judge individuals um, in the New Testament era. Romans 5.19 says, talking about Adam, for as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. All of, you, all of you, all of me. We're made sinners. We're made rattlesnakes. It doesn't mean you sinned yet, but you're going to. Just give me, give me enough time. You're going to sin lots, but maybe not yet. Everybody is born a sinner without having sinned. Does that make sense? We inherit the sin nature. But we have not sinned yet. But you don't get rejected from God for being of the sin nature. You get rejected from God for sinning. I think that's clear in the scripture. And so, what we have here is a case of becoming unsaved at a certain point in your life. Uh, and, and there are people who will, who have said in the past that babies are born sinful and need to be baptized as soon as possible so they can become righteous. And the Anabaptist movement rejected that. They said that's not the case. Babies are born un, uh, without needing to be saved. And it's not until they begin to sin that God condemns them. Now, they will sin. They will sin automatically. Like a rattlesnake will be a rattlesnake. But babies won't, aren't judged for them, their sins until they have some to be judged for. And so, the way from the poem, uh, future depends upon his uh, understanding sin. Something else that Paul says Let's see if I get to that later. Yeah, let's just leave that for right now. Sorry. 
Uh, people, people are sinners automatically. Um, in Genesis, after the flood, God, God told Noah, I'm not going to flood the whole earth anymore because I will never again curse the ground anymore for man's sake. For the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth. He didn't say his childhood. And I looked it up. I was curious. That word youth is not the same as, as infant or baby. Um, it's the same word that was used when Goliath was a, 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 a man of war from his youth. Now maybe his daddy gave him a little wooden sword to play with in the crib. Um, but he wasn't a man of war in the crib. So the imagination of man's heart being evil from his youth doesn't necessarily include um, infants, according to this, according to the Hebrew um, definitions there from Strong's Concordance. And it's, it's the same uh, Hebrew word that David uses when he talks about his youth as well, throughout the Psalms in different lots of places, not just at one, one, one instance. Romans five twelve. Let's um, read that. Some Romans five twelve and following. It talks a bit about sin. Romans five twelve. Whereby, as by one man sin entered into the world, so sin came into the world when Adam and Eve sinned. And death came by sin. And so death passed upon all men. Whether you sin or not, death is, a, uh, is stalking at your door. Even babies. Or pre-birth babies die too. Um, for that all have sinned. Uh, all are, are sinners. Um, and you can do the word study yourself if you like. Um, but I, I couldn't, I couldn't put into this King James phrase for all have sinned. Um, I couldn't put into there, according to the definitions I could find, that every person um, commits sin, but that all commits sins, that all people are sinners. That's how it comes out. You can check it out yourself. And everybody will sin given enough time. Now, there's, there's no, no question about that. But if you think, you, you think we're going to be hung up on this phrase, um, it's okay. It doesn't cancel the, the rest of the, of the instructions there. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgressions. Death was a result of sin, and everybody died as they got older. The result of sin came on everybody, even those who had not sinned like Adam did, it says. Then he has a couple of double negatives, uh, negative uh, verses there. You have to watch the grammar there a bit. But the offense is not like the free gift, because they're opposites. By Adam's Adam transgression, death and sin came on the world, and by Jesus' righteousness, both life and peace come on the world. They're opposites. Verse 19. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners. Rattlesnakes. So by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Um, they have to accept it though. So this isn't just a, a blanket statement that says God, that Jesus saved everybody in the world automatically. So we, we receive the sin nature from Adam. There is one other verse that uh, I think we should look at. Yet, yeah. um, before that, though, I want to take a vote. You're into polls and voting, aren't you? Um, I'd like you to respond. I won't um, take your names down or anything. Just, um, what do you think that? What do you think about the proposal that we should um, just cancel all weddings from here on in this congregation? Raise your hand, real high. All weddings canceled from here on. 
Okay. Well, I guess you can break the news to your fiance. And, um, we have a unanimous vote to uh, uh, keep it the way it is and not cancel them all. <clears throat> okay, I just want to check if you agree with Apostle Paul or not, like I don't. So you don't either. So we're all in the same boat. I want to prove that first before we go to this other, other uh, section. So we all disagree with the Apostle Paul. Okay. <laughs> Let's go to uh, 1 Corinthians 7. <clears throat> that was a trap. Um, <clears throat> 1 Corinthians 7 seems to be a Sunday afternoon discussion with Apostle Paul. And he says it is. This is one of the few places in the Bible it says that, that the, the writer is saying... Um, this is how I feel at the time. It's my idea. And he says it right out plain. Most of the Bible is something other than that. It's instructions. It's thus saith the Lord. Or history, you know, or poet, poetic um, verses. But in the New Testament here, we have a, almost the whole, the whole chapter, almost, not quite, the whole chapter, that says, this is, this is what I think about it. And he specifically he gives... gives um, Disclaimers. But I speak this by permission and not of commandment. I command yet not I but the Lord. Now this verse, let's listen up. This is from God. But to the rest speak I, not the Lord. I have no commandment of the Lord, yet I give my judgment. And I suppose, therefore, this is good for the present distress. And after my judgment, and I think I have the Spirit of God too. Um, this is quite different than the uh, book of Romans where he lays out the, uh, uh, the law, the bringing sin, Jesus bringing redemption, and, and all those. <clears throat> so it's in this context we find this verse. 1 Corinthians 7. Oops, I'm in Romans. Uh, I have it marked somehow. First Corinthians seven. Maybe you know where I'm going there. Verse fourteen. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. Else were your children unclean, but now are they holy. Um, that verse sometimes sticks out to people, uh, and they say that only Christian babies are saved. Pa- uh, babies of Christian children are saved. Or at least if one of the parents is Christian. Uh, I never did hear whether you can adopt them and be, make them Christian or not. But you can, if you have them biologi- biologically. <clears throat> but not just the children work this way. It says, for the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife. And that sanctified means made holy, like it does, like it does anywhere else in the New Testament. And the unbelieving husband is uh, sanctified by the wife. Well, if you can save people that easily, go marry someone that's not sanctified. Sorry for the rest of your life, though, but um, that's not how we save people. Nowhere else in the New Testament do we have any instructions or indication that you can make somebody holy by marrying them. Most of the time, in, in, in our experience, we find out how unholy both of us are. By being in such a close relationship, day by day by day, the sharp corners come out. Um, relationship issues come out. And then God can make us holy through the process. Wonderful. Praise the Lord for his salvation. Um, but we don't have any, any uh, indication anywhere else that you can marry somebody to make them holy. But that's what it says right here in this verse. I don't know what Paul was thinking there. Another place it mentions about prayers for the dead. 
Uh, I didn't research that real, real, very well either. Um, so whatever, whatever, whatever he was talking about, um, I think it can be put into some um, local discussion. Um, that they were having. And because of the context of the chapter, uh, I don't believe that it is cutting out scripture selectively. Because he actually says that he's saying what he, what he thinks. In some, some verses in here, he says, now I have a command of the Lord. This is, this is for sure how it is. And he says it. But, other, but most of the chapter is, is um, the way he thinks they should do at that time. So not only can you not make somebody holy, sanctify them by marrying them, you can't make your children holy by marrying someone that is holy either. <clears throat> and there is no need to. Because, uh, not, not to make your children holy. Because, like I showed you before, People are not unsaved until they sin. And you can't sin until you are violating some law. Paul's clear about that. Sin. Um, the law came and I died. Uh, he goes to great lengths to describe that. You can't sin until you violate a law. and you. Um, so you become unsaved at some point throughout your life. So that's when you get unsaved. I don't know when that is. It varies for people, I'm sure. Um, but you are... Often, often the term isn't used as saved babies, but safe. At least they're not unsaved. They're not um, damned, as the Bible uses. Doomed. But like everybody else, humans have to sin to be rejected of God. But we are sinners, born sinners, but we haven't sinned yet. Okay. Other questions we can have. What must I do to be saved? Can I just do the right thing and be okay? I mean, what's this salvation save process about? Well, Isaiah says, we are all unclean, an unclean thing, and all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags we all do fade as a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, have taken us away. Our righteousnesses are a idol. Remember, I said if we um, serve idols instead of the living God, well, the idol can be the guy in the mirror, the lady in the mirror. If we uh, live life by our own instructions. Um, that is an idol that flies into the face of God. So no, you can't just do the right thing and be okay. And besides that, you won't if you tried. Benjamin Franklin is a fairly famous person. And uh, you can read some of his writings. They're very interesting. And he has long lists of good things to do. Don't drum on the table or know these people. Uh, early to bed, early to rise, those kind of things. Um, but he says in his writings that he feels really bad because he, he doesn't do all those things that he says. Well, he made a law, and he's not doing it. So if you think, well, I can just be good, and I'll be okay. Well, you can try, but you can't do it. Because you are a sinner. Rattlesnakes can't be cuddly puppy dogs, whether how, how hard they try. They just don't quite look like a cuddly puppy dog. Because they're not a cuddly puppy dog. Sometimes people get caught up in their ancestry. Well, I come from a good citizen family. You know, if sort of God accepts um, you know, a good citizen, God will approve of us. But God requires holiness, not just social approval. Just because people think you're a nice person as a neighbor doesn't mean that God accepts you into his, his family. 
the Pharisees in Jesus' time thought that. They said, we have Abraham to our father. And Jesus said, no, no, don't say that. If you had Abraham to your father, if, if you were righteous like Abraham, you would act like a righteous person. But you're not. He just told them straight on. You're not acting righteous. And that's why you're being condemned. For your sins, you're being condemned. First uh, Peter 1, a couple verses there. But as he which has called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. Your nice neighbor that's not converted can't be holy. He can be nice. He can be uh, friendly. But you can't be holy on your own. And uh, you cannot please God by being a nice person. Although it's very nice if you're a nice person. But you can't... You can't uh, Gain salvation by being a nice person. Because, again, First Peter 1, further down the chapter, For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation, your foolish lifestyle, received by tradition from your fathers, this is the good parentage line again, it, he calls it a vain tradition. Because they're trying to trust in their good works, like the Israelites and the later in the uh, uh, Pharisees were. For all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man is a flower of grass. All the glory of man. All the nice things you can do, aside from Christ. The grass withereth, and the flower thereof falleth away. What must I do to be saved? What if you are saved? What would change? I talked about uh, how to get saved, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. What would change when I'm saved? Well, in Titus 2, there's a couple of verses there, for the grace of God hath, that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that, this is a salvation process, the sanctification process, that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works, that ye may show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Let us describe some things that change once we are saved. We will change our motives for living. That he may show forth the praises of him. If you are a good person to qualify yourself for heaven, I expect you think highly of yourself. If that's where your credentials come from. If you realize that your credentials come from Jesus' goodness, then you think of yourself as not able to please God. You think of yourself not higher than you ought to think. So your thinking changes, even if you're a nice person. Second uh, Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. We go from rattlesnake to cuddly puppy dog. Unless you don't like dogs, then you choose something else. Become a new creature with new abilities. But we still have the sinful nature. To deal with. We'll get to that in just a few minutes here. The last question I have here is a sad question. What if I don't like being saved? Can I get unsaved again? The answer is yes. At any time, you can return your peace with God and promise of eternal life for a full refund of damnation with interest. The Bible is clear about that. Lots of interest. High interest rate. There was a irreverent man in uh, the town I grew up in that had a, 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 um, a trash disposal service. He drove down trash trucks. 
he had, had trash trucks. And on the side of his trash trucks, his advertising logo was satisfaction guaranteed or double your trash back. Well, that's a bit how it is in the spiritual realm. Um, the New Testament describes how people who have once known Christ, uh, once they have tasted of the goodness of Christ, and reject and choose back their own prideful self that looks them in the mirror, and go by their own ideas and their own righteousnesses, humanism, humanism are much harder to reach and will be responsible for much more at the judgment. <clears throat> Second Peter talks about some false prophets. Uh, verse Second Peter 2.20 For if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled therein and overcome, the latter end is worse with them than the beginning. For it had been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness. That's not good. Not to have known the way of righteousness. Nothing good about that. But he says it's, it would have been better for them to not have known the way of righteousness than after they have known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered unto them. Um, maybe the better would be, you know, once you turn back, they're often hardened more and harder to, re- harder to repent again because they've convinced themselves of falsehoods. But it happened unto them according to the true proverb, the dog is turned to his own vomit again and the sow that was washed to her wallowing in the mire. When I was a boy, uh, I watched a cat re-eat a rabbit. Um, One of my cats had caught a wild rabbit and eaten it, and gorged herself, and threw up. And later in the day, the cat was hungry. And so it knew where lunch was, and it went back to the spot and helped itself. That was a very gruesome scene. Imagine how gruesome it looks to God when he gives us a clean white robe of righteousness. And we walk out behind the barn and jump in the manure pit. It doesn't look very nice to God either. And if we deliberately do that, on purpose, knowing what we're throwing away, uh, it's very difficult to gain that back again. So, may God help us to savor our salvation, to value what he has given to us, and to look forward to the reward in heaven, be with him forever.